everybody, I'm Connor. Joining me, as always, is my trusty sidekick, Doug, and this is the Bethel School District Presents podcast. Now, Doug, I actually heard you pull up to work today. The Michael Bolton was just pouring out of your car. Gotta ask, what's your favorite Michael Bolton song? I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Bolton fan. I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. Okay, fair enough. I mean, he's no Kenny G, but to each their own. But it did get me thinking about first concerts. Let's think way back, Doug. What was your first ever concert? Well, long before I was a Michael Bolton fan, which apparently I am on this particular episode of this particular show in this particular part of the conversation, I grew up a country music fan growing up in Pittsburgh. My dad listened to country music on the radio, and so I was into Alabama, the Charlie Daniels Band. My dad took me to see the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band perform at a park, uh, but it didn't get any better than Alabama singing Hello Pittsburgh, Steel Mill Workers in 40-Hour Week. That was a big moment for a little kid in Pittsburgh. How about you, Connor? Let me set the scene for you. It's 1994, Spokane, Washington. Your boy Connor's 14 years old. His first show is none other than Nirvana. Nirvana, now that is a first concert. I never got to see them live. How did a young, innocent 14-year-old Montana boy find his way to Spokane in 1994? That's a good question. And the answer is, sometimes it pays to have an older sister, especially one that loves Nirvana, gets tickets, but can only go if she brings her annoying little brother. So thanks, Megan. You know, a lot of younger brothers grow out of that annoying phase. You should look into that. Anyway, to continue this conversation, joining us in studio today is Jody Grayeyes and Todd King from our behavioral health team. Jody, first concert for you. I went to an air supply concert in 1983, my freshman year of high school. And how about you, Todd? My first concert would have been in excess during the kick tour. I love it. We don't have any new sensations to talk about today, but we do have some news coming out of your team. Now, a lot of people think behavioral health. They think of what we're doing for students across the district, but you both are also doing things for staff. Part of that is the wellness committee that's tied to workforce secondary traumatic stress. That's the stress that our staff can take home with them after working with students who are experiencing tough things in their lives. Jody, tell us a little bit about that committee. Who's serving on it and what have they been looking at this year? So on our committee, we have union representatives, certificated and classified staff. We also have building administrators and district administrators. Our committee looks at how we can support the wellness of our teachers and our classified staff throughout the district to make sure that we can support them, that they can support our students throughout the school year. Last year, we really focused on a grant that we received which would allow us to purchase whatever we needed to support staff wellness. And this year we're moving that grant into an app through our state insurance called Smart Health. And that's specifically what we're gonna talk about today. First, Todd, what is Smart Health? So Smart Health is Washington State's voluntary wellness program that's offered through your SEBB insurance and, and your state insurance. And as part of that, how are people gonna get signed up for Smart Health? Yeah, it's really easy to find it. You just go to the staff internet under uh, departments and resources, look for mental health, and there's a link to the Smart Health right there. It couldn't be easier. Before we talk about the prizes, You've said there's also a wellness incentive for folks, and this is a pretty big deal. Jody, can you tell us about that? So SEBB provides a wellness incentive of $125 off of your deductible if you earn 2,000 points through the Smart Health app, which you can easily get 800 points just by completing the wellness assessment, and then after that, participating in activities. Okay, I like this. Now, activities, when we're talking about health, we could be talking about running an ultra marathon, or we could be talking about 
you know, learning a new healthy recipe, what side of that are we on here? Well, it actually is all of it. So anything you do, pretty much you can find uh, one of the activities on the Smart Health website to click off that box. So if you cooked a, a healthy meal for your family, there's probably a, an activity for that that you can check off. So it really does run the whole gamut. So it could just be spending some time outside. It could be playing games with your family, having a conversation with somebody. Anything you do to improve your happiness and your well-being in your life, it's probably in there. Excellent. Is this something we have to do every month? We'll go in and check things every month, or is there a limit that we hit for the year? So you can do things on a daily basis or a monthly basis. It just depends on what activities you choose to participate in. For example, I've participated in activities that connect to my smartwatch so that when I go for a walk or a run, it automatically updates those in the Smart Health app. So I get points just by moving. This is excellent. This is really big news for folks. So again, they can go to the staff page, programs and resources, click on mental health. And we'll also have a link to this in our staff news e-newsletter that comes out on Fridays. Now let's talk prizes. I know everybody's excited about this. Now these are grant funded through a grant we got through Kaiser Permanente. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? And then we'll talk about what some of the prizes are. Part of the Smart Health program is that as a school district, Bethel can have our own activities that are uploaded just for Bethel staff members. And when you participate in those Bethel specific ones, we will do some drawings at the end of each month for the prizes that we purchased. Some of the prizes we range from outdoor activity type of things like trekking poles, or we have a hydration pack. We also have weighted blankets and acupressure mats. We have massage guns. We have cookbooks. We have gratitude journals. Just anything for anybody, whatever you might need to help your wellness. Will there be a specific prize for each month, or is there a list people are going to be able to choose from? We anticipate that uh, there'll be a list that people can choose from, the prize that suits them the best, uh, and we'll probably give multiple prizes away each month. That's really excellent. This is some really great information for our staff. And when does it all kick off? It's kicked off already. October is our first month to open up the activity and the prizes. Great information for our staff and some great opportunities coming up. Visit the staff intranet, click on programs and resources, click on mental health, and definitely download the Smart Health app and get started. Prizes and deductions in your deductibles coming your way. Todd King, Jody Grayoz, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, next on the show, Connor's gone over to Challenger High School to talk with new principal Julie Schultz-Bartlett. There is a lot of big things happening over at Challenger High School this year, and they're in a new building as well. Thank you to our voters who passed the 2019 school construction bond that funded phase two of that project. They've added a middle school program, and Connor and Julie talked about that, a wide range of other issues, and they started their conversation by talking about how the school year started out. It's been great. The staff here are some of the most generous and kind and loving people I've ever met. The building is absolutely beautiful. It's fun to be in a brand new building and just to learn all the ins and outs of all the new technology that has been put into this building. It's an amazing space. It has just some of the most state-of-the-art systems like HVAC that I've ever witnessed. So that's been great. Our students are enjoying having a space where they're not walking around in the rain to get to and from classes. We're adjusting to some things at Challenger with being in a new building, understanding bells, getting used to hallway procedures, but overall it's just absolutely fabulous. You spent, what, 11 years at Bethel Middle School? So you've, you've been a middle school principal. This is your first year working 
predominantly with high schoolers. You do have some middle schoolers here this year. What's been the biggest difference in just kind of your daily interaction between middle schoolers and high schoolers? The big difference I see is just the maturity. I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone. Middle schoolers are still learning a lot about their social world. So I've enjoyed seeing many of my former Bethel Middle School students who attend here at Challenger and seeing students that I saw right before the pandemic and now they're juniors and seniors and the amazing maturity that they show just that time has helped them to grow up, their teachers, their interactions with other people, just wonderful. Um, the thing I like best about high schoolers so far is how they will talk to you and they will interact um, and tell you about their day. It's just really fun to see them. They're, they're more in self-control than they are in middle school. We're here today to talk about restorative justice, and that's a big thing that's happening in the district. For those of us who maybe aren't as familiar with that term and what it means, can you first just talk a little bit about what restorative justice means? Certainly, restorative justice is not a new concept, but it is one that schools started to adopt a couple of years before the pandemic, so it's probably been, I think, five or six years in our district that we've been working on. Restorative justice is the concept that when there's harm done within a community, the person who has harmed the community should go through some form of a process to acknowledge that harm and then be welcomed back into that community. And so ju the justice part of it is acknowledging that there was hurt, um, seeking some form of a reparation, so apologies all the way up to uh, formal reparations, um, acknowledging that something happened that broke the norms of that community, and then the restorative part is working to make the community whole again, which includes that individual. And there's a wide continuum. The way that we implement it here in the school district usually works out where students will work on acknowledging that they've broken some rules or hurt someone, maybe emotionally hurt them through words, and then the different parties will get to talk about how that made them feel, and then the entire group will talk about what would need to be done to make something whole. Those all sound like really interesting ideas. I'd love to kind of hear what that means in a real perspective. So let's say a student's in class being disruptive or verbally abusive. In years past, I would assume those students get sent down to the principal, and if it's severe enough, maybe they're sent home for the day. So what's the difference now using restorative justice? What would happen to that student? So in that situation, if we were in a school that was focusing on restorative practices, the first piece would be to remove the student from the situation because they were causing harm. But rather than maybe send that student out into the hallway to sit where they would stew on those emotions, someone would push in to attend to them and, and come in and talk with them. A social worker, a counselor, a family resource coordinator, an administrator that's trained in restorative process, a campus safety would come up to that classroom and the student would be removed because they're doing harm actively to that community. We can't, we can't let that continue. During that time, the student would be asked to identify uh, what happened and this is where it deviates so instead of saying that was wrong it would go further it would say to the student what were you feeling when that happened who were you harming when that happened what was the impact on yourself what was the impact on your teachers um, that conversation can take five to ten minutes uh, it could take a lot longer if the student is escalated where they can't understand the processing but in general it usually takes five to ten minutes at Bethel Middle often it would take place while the social worker was walking around the the hallways with that student having a conversation and doing basic work for de-escalating their emotions. Then we would determine if there if that student could re-enter the class. So that's the next part. If that student was going to re-enter the class, we have to also acknowledge that there was harm. So you can't just put the student back and think 
everybody else is going to ignore them and and it'll be fine because that that individual harmed the class disrupted the teacher maybe insulted somebody we need to acknowledge that for the victim so in this case then maybe the teacher would step out in the hall let's say that the student was really disruptive and the teacher had had to stop teaching multiple times so the person that was harmed was the teacher so the teacher would hear the student the teacher the student would do some kind of acknowledgement the teacher would welcome that student back in we have some different sentence prompts that they might use but the the goal would be that the student and the teacher would make some amends the teacher would usually say i'm glad for you to come back this is the way to handle that need in the future what i need from you is to do xyz the student would say i need this they would make an agreement and the student would come back into the class and the teacher would continue teaching and the student would be welcomed back. So the the good parts about it is because it's relationship-based, you are basing the actions on what it takes to restore that relationship rather than basing actions on correcting only the outburst or the outcome. We're really looking at what was the function, meet that need, and then acknowledge that there was a relationship component. But it sends the ultimate message one, you, you can't act up and just get kicked out of class because we want you in our classroom. So we're going to do whatever it takes to get you back in class. It also sends a message that I care about you. We have so many teachers and staff that care about you. You're going to, we're going to do whatever it takes to get you to feel safe in this environment also. But it holds the line that you're not allowed to harm your community. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the kind of punitive aspect of it because I think the one thing that maybe people who aren't in education or used to older school methods of teaching would say, oh man, you're letting these kids off the hook. But in reality, a lot of these kids are doing these outbursts because they want to be kicked out for whatever reason. And so this is really not about letting kids off the hook. It's really about dealing with the emotions that have led to that child to have an outburst. So you have a lot of experience with this and it sounds great on the outside, but from a boots on the ground perspective, do you find that this actually works? So does it work? That's a really broad question. It works when a student wants to be part of that community. So the premise behind our work is that students want to learn and want to be part of our school community. And also that we as adults want to use our skills to develop students' capacity to handle problems. When it does not work is when a student is explicitly telling us through their actions that they are not interested in rejoining that community. In that sense, uh, restorative practices, we don't have anything to restore back to. And so that's a whole different part that we have to deal with. So a good example of that would be right after COVID. So when we all came back to school, we were having fights frequently throughout the school district. We had vandalism throughout the school district. We had to establish our community again and establish the norms that are our community. And so only having restorative practices was not enough right then. We had also consequences and explicit teaching of our norms and rebuilding our relationships because students were not accustomed to being part of that community and they were in a, this really big rebellious phase over all of the trauma that had happened to them, over coming back to school, over the loss of learning, that there were just so many layers and students were unaccustomed to being part of our community. So restorative practices didn't work by themselves. There are times where there are really big things that happen. Bullying is one, maybe fights, drug possession, drug distribution, really big things can happen on a campus. And restorative practices would come alongside consequences because the restorative practices part are about the restoring of the relationship. So 
there are still school consequences. Students still get suspended. You can be a school that utilizes restorative practices and also in some element of progressive discipline. There are consequences in our board around what happens if you do these behaviors that the entire school district has deemed as unacceptable. Those are codified in our on our discipline procedures, right? What we would say is, and you do a component of restorative practice. So the way that would look would be two people get into a fight. Those two students have consequences. They will most likely be suspended because that is the consequence for fighting. They will then return to school. And that's when there's restorative because that's when we say, okay, why were we fighting? What was the need that needed to be met? How can you restore with this person? Were you friends that you were fighting? Let's do a mediation. You were not friends and you were fighting because you have different views on something that was happening in your neighborhood. What do we need to do? Can we acknowledge, you need to acknowledge what happened. The other person needs to acknowledge what happened and we agree to uh, disagree and have a no contact order and leave each other alone. And then we're going to acknowledge to the school community that we harmed them by fighting. We're going to talk to maybe the campus safety that had to break up the fight or we're going to talk to the principal and and talk about this is how it harmed my community and I'm going to acknowledge that and the community is going to say here's what we're going to do to support you you're going to have uh, maybe some staggered passing or you're going to have um, a no contact with that person so the restorative part is around how do we get that person to come back in and not harbor shame over having had this time when they were out of school. How do we tell the rest of our community, we're keeping them safe and they've also acknowledged what they've done. I like that example because it, it shows that, you know, this isn't uh, an either or thing. This isn't the kids are either being punished or they're doing restorative justice. A lot of times it's both and it's just a matter of how can we best get them back in school, get them back learning and get the rest of the community comfortable with them being back in school and learning. So it's hard transition here. Earlier, Doug and I were talking about our first concerts and I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. So Julie, first concert or first concert that you remember or most memorable concert or most fun concert? Well, that's a tough one. So when I was in college, I went to a lot of the big music festivals and I remember them. They are memorable. Uh, But I would say one of my favorite concerts, this is probably dating myself a bit, but I went to a Kenny Rogers concert at the fair uh, and I have loved Kenny Rogers since I think I was about seven or eight and I would listen to him in my mom's Filari station wagon playing on the radio and it was absolutely great. He's an amazing performer. Uh, just so much fun. He, he did all the songs and I could sing along and it was at the fairgrounds. So that's always a great place to see it. It's outside with all the other Kenny Rogers fans. So it was really memorable. Kenny's the best. We, we love Kenny on the pod. Well, thank you so much, Julie. And thanks for having us over and good luck with the rest of the year. Thank you so much. It was really fun. And that's going to be our show for this week. We do love Kenny Rogers here on the pod. You know, he had some chicken restaurants too. The man makes a pretty strong bird. He did, and he had some classic songs. In fact, Connor, let's let's give the people a treat. Let's you and I sing a duet of Islands in the Stream like Kenny and Dolly did back in the day. Well, sometimes you got to know when to walk away and know when to run, and it's that time. So see you next week, everybody. Get you with a fine tooth comb. I was